Welcome to Mythsterhood of the Traveling Tales. Join us as we roar the heavens and swim the seas in search of the spectacular and magical. Like the Hydra of Greek lore, our fangs can raise the dead, bringing lost skeletons back to life for an episode or two. But unlike our three-headed friend, we're not guarding the door to the underworld. No, we're blasting it wide open and inviting you to come explore with us. Welcome back to episode 16 of Mysterhood of the Travelling Tales. We are one episode and one blog into Africa and heading south on the continent from the Congo all the way down to South Africa, where our own lovely Annika is from. Hello, Annika. Hi, Jess. And yeah, sunny South Africa is in here. Well, it's not been so much sunny as it has been rainy, especially here in the Namakura semi-desert, which spans quite a bit of southern Africa. I think we might actually find a few dragons in this area. Well, I know I found one real-life dragon um, in the Karoo, um, and I actually mentioned it in last week's blog post, so do go and check that out. Um, But as for actual South African mythical dragons, since we're in your territory, why don't we let you decide where to start? Well, seeing as we are travelling down, let's start with the upper half of the southern part of of Africa. And let's start in the Congo River region with the Nyanga people. They have an epic called Muindo Epic. As in most good epics, the hero faces off against a dragon-type creature. Right. Muindo was a classic hero born to overthrow his father's rule. Like most heroes, he comes out of the womb walking, talking, and ready to kick butt. <laughs> um, so, can you say Gary Stu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, we can! <laughs> Yes, we can. But before he can... It has its appeal. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it does. And I mean, this is ancient mythology and not sort of contemporary literature. So we can be a bit more forgiving. We can. Um, But anyway, before Mwindo can battle the final boss, his father, he has to defeat some other forces first. The main serpent is the river god, Mukiti. He lives in the deepest part of the river and controlled all of the river's animals, as well as the waters. And people revered him because he granted safe passage to travellers, as well as providing water. Not much is said about his appearance, except that he can take either serpent or human form. In the epic, Mukiti marries Iangura, Mwindu's aunt. This is important because in Banyanga life, the chief's sister would have given him advice about ruling, but Mukiti takes Yangura, the voice of reason, away. He keeps her trapped in his village while he dwells in the river. When Mwindo's father tries to kill him as an infant, Mwindo goes to Yangura for help. He approaches by walking on the river bottom, defeating all of Mukiti's servants as he passes through the water. And when he gets to the shallow water, Mwindo encounters Musoka, Mukiti's sister. Musoka was the goddess of the calm shallows. She made a dam to stop Mwindo, 
but he simply burrowed beneath it and continued on. Eventually, Mwindo defeats all of Mukiti's servants and dries up the river. His spell is so powerful, it dries all the water in the land, even the spit in people's mouths. But his aunt begs him for leniency, so he returns the water and Mukiti leaves him alone. It's actually one of the few stories where the battle between man and god does not actually end in death, but instead a sort of mutual respecting and understanding circumstance. It is nice to see the gods and humans getting along, even if their relationship is still a bit tense. Oh, well, I mean, it did start with them both trying to kill each other. Hmm, yeah... True. So, let's move on to a story that is even more heartwarming, shall we? Masingi, <laughs> the healer. Ooh, that is a good one. Masingi, the healer, is from the Shangan people in South Africa. According to his story, he lived in a deep hole outside of the village, and it was said that he could bring anyone back to health. When a man fell ill and could not be revived, his wife asked their five sons to go and fetch Masingi, the healer, and bring him back. Each boy, starting with the oldest, went to the hole and sang to Masingi. The serpent, hearing the song, gathered his healing herbs and came out, but when the boys saw he was a great serpent, they ran away. When it came time for the youngest son to go, he stood well away from the hole. When Masingi came out... The boy did not run. He wrapped Masingi around him and brought him to the village where the snake healed his father. Masingi stayed in the village for several days and left healing herbs behind in case the father fell ill again. He also said if he is needed, one only has to go to Masingi's hole and sing his song. What a sweet, helpful serpent. He is. I'm loving that we've got benevolent and not so benevolent dragons in the uh, southern half of Africa. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's stay more or less in the area for the next one. The Basuti people of Lesotho and South Africa have the story of Monyohe, who had a human head and a snake's body. Sound familiar? Oh, just a tiny bit, maybe. <laughs> well, there are actually quite a few stories about Monyohe, and they share some common themes, but not always. Well, they do all start in similar ways. A chief had a wife who could not have children. They went to a healer who said he could cure her barrenness and she would have a son, but he would be born in the skin of a snake. So Monyohe was born. And even though he was part snake, his parents loved him very much. But they knew others would be afraid of him. Well, obviously. So they kept him in their hut, where he ate and grew so large he reached the top of the hut, even when coiled. They built his own hut and moved him there at night. Monyohe could talk and sing and eat like a man, but he remained in, well, the skin of a snake. And here's where the stories branch off. In one story, it comes time for Monyohe to marry. His father plans to buy a bride, but Monyohe says he wants to choose his own. He sneaks down to the waterhole and finds Senkapeng bathing. He decides he will marry her, but she says he has no arms to hold her and no legs to dance with her, so she won't marry him. She asks him where his offering of cattle is, but he has only water to give her. She laughs and runs off. Oh, that's not very nice. Of course. 
<laughs> or hurt, manure blocks up all the water and dries the land. A great drought comes. Young men are then sent to look for water and they find Monyohe in a deep pool. But the snake man will not release the water un unless Sinkapeng marries him. The young men agree to this and Monyohe returns to the water to them. When it comes time to collect Sinkapeng, she runs from Monyohe. Instead of being mad at this, Monyohe is amused and inspired by the chase. She does several tricks, such as leaving her beads behind for him to collect, or singing until he dances so much he ties himself into knots. Finally, one village helps her by burying knives in the ground. These knives split Monyohe's belly, and a beautiful, strong man steps from the skin. Senkapeng immediately falls in love, and they are married. Oh, that's not shallow at all. No, but, no. <laughs> yeah, not shallow. Uh, but in the other version, the love interest is called Maliane. She is a rude child and runs away from home. While in the wilderness, she learns manners from the animals and an old woman. Eventually, she returns to the village and eats a meal with Monyohe's parents. They decide she is such a well-behaved girl that she will marry their son. When she sees him curled in his hut, she runs away as well, returning to her home village. But once she's there, a great thirst overcomes her. Her parents give her water, but nothing will quench her thirst. They take her to the watering hole, but Monyohe is there and refuses to leave. She's too terrified to approach the water and drink with the snake man there. They call the healer, who then lures Monyohe out with meat, but as he emerges, he sheds his skin, becoming, yet again, a beautiful man. And, of course, they fall in love and get married. Of course. Hmm. <laughs> How about we go north again, back to the Congo River Basin, and talk about the Mokele Mbembe? Well, Koji can't resist her cryptids. So she was a bit excited when she came across Makole Mbembe as a potential dino cryptid living in the Congo River Basin. Unfortunately, the research made the story sad and actually a bit infuriating. Okay, first, um, why don't we start with a description? Good idea. A Mokele Mbembe is supposed to be a huge, long-necked dinosaur that lives in the riverbanks and marshlands. Basically, a vague sauropod, yeah. but instead of being a herbivore, it feeds on elephants, hippos, and other large animals. Sounds like a solid cryptid story to me. Well, it does. Um, most cryptid stories, interestingly, have two potential origins. The first are born out of local legends. These are uh, generally our favourites. Yeah. The second form is when an outsider comes to visit and tries to explain something they've seen. While not as great as a local legend, these can still be a pretty interesting way of seeing the layering of cultural explanation. A good example would be the Dracon Indicos. Right, but Mokele Mbembe takes this a step further. In 1909, Carl Hagenbeck published Beasts and Men, in which he claimed to have heard about a creature described by natives as half-elephant, half-dragon. Ooh. Ooh. Um, 
Yeah, intriguing. Um, mm-hmm. So, except later sources then say that Hagenbeck, a known showman, was probably taking advantage of the dinosaur craze and the misinformed idea that Africa was less biologically developed than the rest of the world. In other words, people thought that Africa was a wilderness caught back in time. Now, we know this is nonsense, but it goes to show how some cryptid stories can come not from simple cultural misunderstandings, but from imperialism and willful ignorance. So, yeah, don't do, do, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, but we can't really leave our misters on that note, can we? No, I suppose not. Um, what else do we have? Well, I think I have just the thing. You will find this pretty interesting. Ooh. It's another story from the Basutu people of Basutu in South Africa. The Basutu people had another dragon-like being called the Nanabolele. These looked somewhat like crocodiles that glowed in the moonlight. They traveled in a great cloud of red dust and were super fierce. They took down entire villages, eating the people and sinking the villages below their lake. That does sound fierce. So there's a few variations on this story in which the chief is alive or not, and had one son or two. Either way, the chief did have a daughter, Takane, and at least one son. When the son was circumcised, he refused to leave the circumcision hut unless he was given a shield, clothes, shoes, and a spear made of nanabolele skin. Um, young men were supposed to leave the training hut in their finest, and the son thought, since he was the son of a chief, he should have something better than everyone else. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. But Takane, with nothing else to do, set out to actually go and slay a Nanabolele. She travelled until she found their lake, and in there an old woman came out and told Takane that the Nanabolele had taken her village, leaving only herself alive. The old woman agreed to help Takane. Together they went to the empty village, under the water, and the old woman buried Takane in a deep hole. The Nanabolele returned from their hunting and, well, smelled Takane. But the old woman distracted them until, when they were tired from searching, they fell asleep. The old woman helped Takane choose the biggest Nanabolele, which they skinned. She then sent Takane off with a stone, which would grow into a mountain when Takane sat on it. The Nanabolele chased Takane, but when they got too close, she would simply sit on the mountain until they went away. Eventually, they got too tired and left her. She was able to bring the Nanabolele skin back to her brother and have the fine clothes made from it. In return, he gifted her hundreds of cattle. I feel like that's a good place to leave off as any. Fierce princess wins hundreds of cattle? Sure, that sounds like a great stopping point. (laughs) Right. Well, next week we'll have one more blog about the African dragons and then we're off to where again? Let's check the map. I do believe we're going north up to... Oh, there it is. Eastern Europe. Right. Well, then I will meet you there. If you enjoy the trip, please consider leaving a rating and review on Podchaser or the platform of your choice. Or talk about it on social media or wherever you like to hang out. This helps more listeners find their way to the Mythsterhood and is super important to a little group like ours.
And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter so you can download the Mythster map and keep track of our wanderings. Right. We will talk to you again soon. Until then, we wish all our Mythsters days like dragons greeting clouds. Later, Mythsters! The main serpent is the river... The river... Uh, the river god, am I? River. <laughs> <laughs> the main serpent... Serpent? Oh, God, this is off to a terrible start. <laughs> and when he gets to the shallow water, Mwindo encounters Masoka. Ah, Masoka. And when he gets to the shallow water, Mwindo encounters Masoka. Ah, Musoka. <laughs> I'm supposed to know how to pronounce these. <laughs> I hear it in my head, it just doesn't come through. <laughs>